everyone. Welcome back to the Practicology Podcast. Thanks for being a part of our lives as we help make the Bible part of yours. And today, Mike is going to give us a little bit from the Bible and what it has to say about the world of conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Matthew, do you ever worry that shape-shifting extraterrestrial reptilians may have infiltrated human bloodlines and may right now be ruling the world as a secret cabal? I have never had that worry in my life. Phew, that's good. Well, I'm guessing no one listening to this podcast is worried about that one either. But we are hearing a lot of talk about conspiracies these days and conspiracy theories. And after a while, it can get to us. Not all of them are as far-fetched as the extraterrestrial reptilian one I just mentioned. I was sent a video recently about a more relevant conspiracy theory to many of us listening. If the man on the video is telling the truth, the implications would be extremely serious. Now, I don't personally believe it is true, but I have to be honest, it would be very hard for me, almost impossible for me, to prove that it's not true. And with some of the things we hear, we simply can't know for sure what's fact and what's fiction. It's very disorienting for some of us, and it's hard to keep our head on straight. Yeah, good point, Mike. It is hard for us sometimes to know what is fact and fiction. Uh, So how can we prevent our lives from getting taken over by these issues, these conspiracy theories? Do we need to obsess over them and research them long enough until I can tell whether something is absolute truth or not? Well, we would sure use up a lot of time if we did take that approach. I don't think we need to do that. I want to do three things in this episode to help us sleep well at night, despite all of these issues swirling around us. First, I want to level the playing field by suggesting that we all believe in at least one conspiracy theory. And this eliminates the unhelpful us versus them mentality that can so quickly develop. Second, I want to generate sympathy and understanding by showing the deep itches of our hearts that conspiracy theories purport to scratch for us. And then thirdly and finally, I want to show how the gospel invites us to believe in one main conspiracy, a good conspiracy, and that if we really believe in that one good conspiracy, we won't need to worry about all of the others. Sounds good. Sounds interesting, Mike. I'm looking forward to any help you can give me on sleeping well at night too. So why don't you launch right into it? Right. Well, first we're going to level the playing field and say we all believe in at least one conspiracy theory. I want to point out that this is a gospel move I'm making. The gospel gives us an impulse to find a common denominator amongst humanity. You see, what happens with this whole conspiracy theory discussion is this. Those who believe in them are on one side and those who don't are on the other. And deniers of conspiracy theories write off the other side by saying, that's just a conspiracy theory. I don't have to think about what you're saying because that's just a conspiracy theory. Meanwhile, those who do hold them right off the other side by calling them blind, asleep, sheeple, not people, sheeple, sheep who just blindly go wherever they're led. And the the gospel impulse is to say, whoa, we, we can't just demonize each other and write off each other like that. What is common to all of us in these controversies? In regard to our standing before God, the gospel says we're all guilty. We're all bankrupt, whether we're rich or poor, educated, non-educated from whatever language, ethnicity, people group, We all have sinned, and that same impulse, that same gospel teaches us to explore how we are the same when it comes to other matters of importance, too. And when it comes to conspiracy theories, many scholars of conspiracy theories would argue not that all of us have sinned, but all of us have believed in at least one conspiracy theory. Now, I got to do this quickly. 
I'll try to say just enough to make this seem plausible to, to quite a few of you at least. Of course, the, the big issue here is how do we define a conspiracy theory? It all comes down in large matter to this. And here I'll, I'll simplify the work of scholars of conspiracy theories, such as uh, Joseph Usinski, who deliberately defines conspiracy theories in, in a neutral, non-stigmatizing way. So here's sort of my layman's paraphrase. Uh, a conspiracy theory is when you say the mainstream official explanation of why such and such occurred is wrong. It was actually caused by a conspiracy of a small group of powerful beings acting in secret against the common good. So again, a conspiracy theory is when you say, listen, the, the mainstream official explanation of why that happened is wrong. The real explanation for what happened was that there was this conspiracy of a small group of powerful people acting in secret against the common good. So when, when defined that way, we all believe in at least one conspiracy theory. And I can't, I can't uh, support that assertion fully here. But Matthew, let me just rattle off a few bullet points and we'll move on to the next point. There's a lot of misconceptions about this. And one of them is conspiracy theories are a new thing that weren't common until the last decade or so. But the truth is conspiracy theories have been around as far back as we can go in history. Winston Churchill uh, publicly uh, expressed his belief in one. Henry Ford, the Emperor Nero, etc. Second misconception is that only people on the political right believe in conspiracy theories. But the truth is that people on both sides are equally prone to believe in conspiracy theories. Just, just one example, and we give many more. Uh, in the American context, four of 10 on one political side believe that President Obama was not a US citizen, and these people are called birthers. But if you go to the other political side, four of 10 on that side believe that President Bush caused 9-11 to happen and that they're called truthers. And so it's just a myth that only one political leaning type of person uh, is prone to this. <clears throat> Another myth is that only Americans or, or only in the West do people go after this kind of thing. Whereas the truth is conspiracy theories are alive and well in Europe and in the Eastern world too. Just, just to come back to North America though, if you question whether JFK was killed by just one gunman, if you think the government might be hiding some of the truth about 9-11, if you think that climate science is a fraud, if you worry about Monsanto's and genetically modified food, if you worry about fluoride in your town water, if you question the motives of big pharma or big oil companies, if you question the science about evolution, if you suspect Starbucks and other companies are conspiring against Christmas, you may well believe in a conspiracy theory. And, and please note that I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm only trying to level the playing field here. It's not an us versus them. We all have some tendency to attribute the explanation of certain things in our world to a secret conspiracy. And, and just to go on the record, I have grave suspicions about the drive behind macroevolution. I think there's good reasons to suspect some foul play here with some of the so-called science behind macroevolution. And I'm guessing that many of you would join me in that suspicion. And all of us who are Christians believe that much that happens in our world goes back to Satan and his horde of demons as they conspire against the Almighty and his Messiah. And because that explanation is not embraced by the mainstream gatekeepers of knowledge in our world, this example fits our definition of a conspiracy theory. And thus, for the record, I, Michael John Knox, believe in at least one conspiracy theory, 
And Matthew, likely you do too. I guess I do, Mike. You have convinced me and uh, to many, our belief that there is a real personal devil, Satan, and that he does have a demonic realm in his service. It probably doesn't look that different than the belief that there are shape-shifting extraterrestrial reptilians ruling the world. So you have made a fair point. You have categorized both of us as conspiracy theorists, but in calling our belief in Satan a conspiracy theory, I mean, the point is you're not saying that Satan is not true, right? Can you just expand on that? Yeah, thanks, Matthew. That's really important. Just remember our definition of a conspiracy theory. It's when we say that the cause of this event is a conspiracy, not what the mainstream gatekeepers of knowledge say it is. So it's, it's meant to be a neutral, non-stigmatizing definition. It's not meant to say that our explanation is wrong. It's just meant to say that our explanation is not held by the relevant world-recognized authorities. And as Christians, we believe there is a Satan. And I'm utterly convinced that there is a Satan, that that's true, because the Bible says it's true. But the authorities in our world don't officially believe in Satan. And so this is a case of me believing in a conspiracy theory according to our working definition of what a conspiracy theory is. So second move is this. The first one is to level the playing field. Second move that we want to make is this, to point out our heart's felt needs that might lead many people to go in for conspiracy theories. What are the fairest materials in our hearts that are drawn to the magnetic pole of conspiracy theories? And let me just briefly point out three of them. Number one, we need meaning and understanding. We need meaning and understanding. Most people cannot handle living in a world where everything is merely random chance. There is lots of chaos and craziness in the world. Can't deny that. But what we need is for there to be a reason for that chaos. We need to know that there's an explanation for it, that somebody is in control. And for many, that need for meaning is so strong They'd rather believe the world was controlled by a small group of extremely evil individuals than believe it wasn't ruled by anyone at all. And so, number one, the need for meaning and understanding. Secondly, <clears throat> our hearts need acceptance. And this is a major perk of going in deep into the world of conspiracy theories. Some of our <clears throat> New Testament letters were written against the background of what would later become Gnosticism. And what these movements offered was secret knowledge, elite status. And this can suck us into conspiracy theory obsessions too. If I learn the deep, dark secrets about what's really going on in this world, I'll be a notch above the average. I'll have secret knowledge most people don't have. I'll have an identity, a sense of importance. And on the internet, I'll maybe get accepted into this elite virtual community and I'll feel like I'm part of an important inner ring. And then thirdly, our third felt need is the need for hope. We need to know that everything is gonna work out okay. And conspiracy theories try to offer this. They say, hey, if good people like you find out what's going on and join us in our epic battle of good versus evil, there's a really good chance everything will work out okay. Yeah, so what you're doing again there is this, this impulse of leveling the playing field, right? I mean all of us can identify with at least one of those felt needs or heart itches, as you've called them. That's right, Matthew. I, I want to emphasize again that in this episode, I'm not mocking anyone. All three of these deep needs resonate profoundly with me. 
I need to live in a meaningful world, not a random senseless one. I need there to be a reason, a purpose for why things happened. Secondly, I, I crave acceptance. I totally get why some would try to find it in conspiracy theories. I too have often tried to use the accumulation of knowledge to increase my sense of importance and status and, and get others to appreciate me. And if I'm honest, there's a chance I might be doing a little bit of that right now. And third, I too need a certain hope that everything will be okay in the end. Okay, so we are all on a level playing field. You're not putting anyone down here, Mike. That's good. You are also implying, though, that getting really deep into these conspiracy theories is maybe not the way to meet these needs. That's right. Just as the gospel gives us the impulse to level the playing field, we all believe in at least one conspiracy theory, and gives us the impulse to go to the heart and find out what is it about the human heart that's drawn to conspiracy theories, so the gospel gives us a third impulse to go to Christ and the cross and ask, how does the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ meet the felt needs of the heart in a far more satisfying way than conspiracy theories can? Great question. The answer is? <laughs> well, there's so many directions we could take on this one, but I have to limit myself to just one. And, and so here's, here's the direction we're gonna go. I'm gonna say, the gospel gives us a good conspiracy. And when we believe in this good conspiracy, we'll have those felt needs met and we won't need to worry about all the other conspiracies swirling around us. So let's just look at one scripture, Matthew. Could, could you read 1 Corinthians 2 verses 6 to 10 for us, please? I would love to. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 6 to 10. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Thanks. Let me just make a few observations that will set us up for wonderful news for any of us who are troubled by conspiracy theories. So first, the three divine persons of the Trinity are mentioned in this text. The text mentions God the Father, then the Lord of glory, who in the context has to be the Son, and then it mentions the Holy Spirit, all three divine persons of the Trinity. Second, the text mentions the rulers of this age. It says the rulers of this age crucified the Lord of glory. And it also says that these rulers of this age are doomed, doomed to pass away. Another observation, the fact that they crucified the Lord reminds us of Psalm 2, where it says that the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So let's get this straight. On the one hand, we have the rulers of this world powerful government and religious leaders such as Pilate, the chief priests, Herod, and so on. And they're in their back rooms plotting and conspiring against the Messiah and they crucify him. But on the other hand, we have not the leaders of this world, but the three members, the three persons of the Trinity. And they too have made a plan. Paul mentions the secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory, which means what? there is a good conspiracy. J.R.R. Tolkien played a big role 
and bringing his friend C.S. Lewis to faith in Christ. One of the things Tolkien would talk about is how the cross is a U catastrophe, E-U, U catastrophe, which means a good catastrophe. In other words, before the end of time, there was this massive catastrophe, the crucifixion of the author of life, the Holy Son of God. But it was a good catastrophe because by his death, Jesus has rescued his people and creation from total destruction. In the same way, there is a you conspiracy, a good conspiracy. As Glenn Scrivener has pointed out, there is a secret society, as it were, ruling the world. It's called the Blessed and Holy Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in their secret council before the world was made, conspired together. They planned together, but not to do the world harm, but to do the world tremendous good. It was their plan that the Son would enter our world and become a man and live a perfect life and become the object of the ruling elite's envies and murderous plottings, and that he would then die on the cross and it would look like the lights would go out for our world forever. But three days later, a deeper wisdom would prevail. The one who is righteous and who lovingly sacrificed himself for the guilty would rise again and offer forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who believe in him and would go to heaven and one day come again and put the world to rights. Wonderful stuff, Mike. And while our time is almost gone, maybe you can just spell out for us quickly how this good conspiracy of the gospel, if you're calling it that, how that meets those three felt needs in our hearts that you mentioned earlier better than all the other other conspiracies can. Yeah, I'd love to. So number one, our need for meaning and understanding. Here we go. The chaos and conspiracies of our world are not random events. Each takes place within the sovereign plan and absolute control of the triune God. Our, secondly, our need for acceptance. Well, now that I've trusted in Christ, I am fully accepted by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't need to win them over. They're already pleased with me and have accepted me in. I have been brought in as a son and heir to the most elite, powerful, glorious, and beautiful society ever, the communion of the Holy Trinity. God is my Father. I am a son in his son, and the Father and Son indwell me through the person of the Holy Spirit. I don't need to find insider status anywhere else anymore. Meanwhile, Matthew, though I have this amazing insider status, I can't look down on anyone who isn't inside Christ yet, because I've only been brought in by grace, not by my own elite knowledge or, or intellect or performance. And, and meanwhile, I pray and work to try bring others in too. And thirdly, that third felt need is for hope or security. And somehow my God was able to make the evil secret plottings of the evil elite part of his plan for good. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He is so in charge that he took the most evil deed in the universe and turned it into the ultimate source of healing and deliverance. Think about Moses' rod. When it became a snake, it swallowed up all the other snakes. In the same way, God's good conspiracy swallows up all of men's evil conspiracies. So that, as this text says, the ruler of this age are doomed while I am headed for glory. Even if it was true that the world was being ruled right now by shape-shifting extraterrestrial reptilians who've infected human bloodlines, I know that they would be doomed, whereas my destiny is secure and glorious. Even if there are a group of Hollywood elites doing evil things, their plans are known to God and will get swallowed up by his plans for good. 
Amen. It is a glorious gospel. I love that idea of God's gospel swallowing up all of these evil conspiracies. Ultimately, it's wonderful. And as you mentioned, Mike, there are conspiracy theories that are much discussed and debated, and we can so easily get caught up in those debates, but we don't need to. We don't need to know the total truth about every event and suspicion because of God's good conspiracy, his eternal plan to do us good through his son. Exactly. And I'll just add one more thing. The text says that all these things that God has planned for us for our good, and which no human, they're so good that no human could even dream them up, that these things are revealed to us by his spirit. And just a few verses down in the same chapter, Paul explains, verse 12, he says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. How safe are we? How good do we have it? The Father, Son, and Spirit have planned unbelievably wonderful blessings for us in their eternal counsels. We have entered into these blessings through faith in Christ. And now the Spirit indwells us to fulfill one task inside us, which is teach us more and more what these awesome blessings are in Christ and how liberating they are for believers living in a conspiracy-filled world. Amen. You have given us good things worth meditating upon and devoting ourselves to. When we talk about stuff like this, I, I think of the words of Titus 3, that we are to avoid foolish controversies that are unprofitable and worthless. First Timothy 1, uh, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So God has given us something worth holding and meditating upon. And that's where we want to give our time, brothers and sisters. Uh, this can overcome our fears of conspiracy theories. It's not going to be by obsessing over whether they are true or false, but by obsessively meditating on God's good word in the gospel. That's God's conspiracy in the gospel for our good. And because of his good conspiracy, we know we live in a meaningful world. We know that we are accepted as insiders by his grace. And we know that all things are working together for good. And one day we will live in a perfect world. We have a secure hope. So Mike, thank you for these good words. This should help us all sleep a little better tonight. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. And we'd love to have you with us again on the next episode of the Practicology Podcast. Yeah, see you next time and God bless you everyone. 